Hello, this is a very special episode 6 of UK Airshow Reviews Display Frequency. Running into the show, starting! Oh! Hello there, and a very happy Christmas. This is Dan O'Hagan with an out-of-season display frequency special, our final show of the year. But why is it special? Well, just listen to what's coming up. There's nothing like a fast jet display to blow away that winter chill. We have an in-depth chat with Flight Lieutenant Jamie Norris. He's the new RAF Typhoon Display pilot for 2013. And from the RAF's latest to the hardware of legends, the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight has a new OC. Squadron leader Duncan Mason talks about his role as Ian Smith's successor. There's a new Spitfire for the flight in 2013. We look at the restoration of Mark 16 TE-311. And what a story. From an airframe due to be broken up for parts to the latest jewel in the BBMF's fighter crown. Now, do you tweet? Do you follow us? And do you follow the BBMF? Yvonne Masters tells us why being online is reaping huge benefits for the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight. So, a full Christmas stocking of a show. This is Display Frequency. Now, the RAF's Typhoon display has a new pilot for 2013, and one who's been very proactive in canvassing opinion into what should go into his routine. He even asked me. It's perhaps as close as we'll ever come to getting the people's Typhoon display. So what can we expect from Flight Lieutenant Jamie Norris and Number 29 Squadron? Well, very kindly at their invitation, I went to Coningsby to find out. Jamie, first of all, congratulations. Um, How were you chosen? Uh, thanks very much, Dan, and uh, thanks for speaking to me today. Uh, the decision um, of how the display part was chosen uh, is a standard uh, technique that's used every year. Uh, so it goes back um, a couple of months uh, where everyone is asked to volunteer, first of all, uh, for the display. Uh, as many of the listeners will probably know, the display's moved down from Lucas this year back to uh, what we could arguably call its home at RF Coningsby, and, uh, and lucky for me, back to 29 Squadron. That wasn't always going to be the case. And at the very start, we were quite unsure about where it was going to go um, and if indeed it was going to come back to Coningsby. Uh, so the initial outset we first heard um, uh, as pilots ourselves was that it was definitely coming back to Coningsby, but it could have been any of the squadrons. Uh, so everybody was asked to put uh, bids in for the, uh, the squadron bosses, apologies, were asked to put bids in for the best pilots, um, in their opinion, for the display. And everyone put two bids forward from the frontline squadrons and 29. Very soon after we found out it was definitely going to be 29 squadrons, so the other bids were retracted, and the boss put forward the names he thought suitable for uh, the OCU, the 29 squadron pilot. They then get ratified by the station commander, um, who was Group Captain uh, Group Captain Johnny Stringer, who looks at the names and made sure they're validated, and obviously he was happy with the, the names that were put forward. And then the final the responsibility and decision rests with the, the Air Officer Commanding. Air, Air Vice Marshal Stuart Atha, who took the final decision. So for me, it's transparent. I put my name forward. I'd love to display the Typhoon, if at all possible. And we wait on tender hooks for a few months, and then the decision comes back. 
which in my case was positive, uh, which was amazing. So how keen is the competition to be the one that gets the seat to be the display pilot? It's it's very sought after, shall we say. Um, Obviously, the pool that people were choosing from is quite a small pool anyway, in the fact that we've limited to one squadron at one base, um, and we've obviously got a finite amount of pilots on there. Not everybody wants to do the job, so obviously there's a lot of... um, excellent pressures on the job itself as you, you'd be well to know with the timescales etc involved in the season so it's not for everybody I'll, I'll just throw that in there now and not everybody wants to do it uh, but those that do um, obviously got a, a, um, a want to try and get their hand into display flying and obviously displaying uh, and certainly um, in the RF's opinion one of the finest jets and in my opinion one of the finest uh, fighter jets in the, in, the, in the world right now so quite fierce competition I'd say uh, but friendly at the same time we all put our bids in we all know we've got as much chance as the next person to get it um, but even so to be picked uh, as a massive honour which is really good and what's your own Air Force background? my own Air Force background ok I joined uh, in 2002 uh, six months of officer training at RAF Cranwell uh, as uh, per everybody else and then straight into a uh, hold at Coltishall so got to uh, see the halcyon days of the Jaguar before it uh, disbanded and back then uh, not that anyone's allowed to know that but I wanted to be a Jaguar pilot um, <laughs> this is now going out on air so I'll be in trouble um, following my hold I went through the next stage of training was basic fast jet training on the Takano at Linton News uh, then across to Aria Valley for six months to learn to fly the Hawk uh, the T1 uh, following that I was creamed off as a first tourist instructor to fly the Hawk T1 for three years uh, and instructed um, all the, pretty much all my friends going through the Air Force uh, system right now which is good uh, which is a great opportunity to meet lots of guys coming through. Uh, and also had the privilege of instructing uh, Indian Air Force students going through the time, uh, which was uh, a really smashing three years. Uh, following that, I did my weapons training, um, which is the next standard stage of training, across uh, at RF Valley also, and then was selected um, to fly the Harrier, which was fantastic. So I flew the Harrier GR9 with four squadron, um, based at RF Cottesmore, uh, which is just an amazing experience, a lovely aircraft. Uh, but as you know, and many of the listeners know, obviously the Harrier was disbanded. So upon four squadron disbanding, uh, four AC squadron, I uh, jumped ship, so to speak, across to the Typhoon. And I've uh, been flying Typhoon since 2010. And what is the Typhoon like to fly? Uh, amazing. It's, d- d- there are not enough superlatives to, uh, to describe the jet. There really aren't. Completely different to the Harrier. Um, I often get asked the question, which is better, which is worse? And the answer is always different. So neither are better, neither are worse. Uh, but the Typhoon summed up... Um, the engine's just phenomenal. The thrust is phenomenal. Uh, obviously, everyone's seen the statistics. And uh, the carefree handling is just something that's brand new to me and brand new to a lot of pilots as well. So the ability to throw the, the jet around in any way, shape, or form and be unable to overstress the jet is just fantastic. So it's a, a true pilot's aircraft. Well, here we are now about, what, three weeks before Christmas and the display season months away. But behind us here, there's a board, and it is full of lines and arrows and... The display is much more than just you and the jet, isn't it? It is, yeah. You, the board you speak about looks like a spider's uh, wandered across it, and um, it's quite full at the moment. Uh, but as you alluded to there, it's, it's more than just the, myself, the jet, and the display itself. There's a whole lot and a whole raft of things going around in the background. Uh, it's probably important to point out that the, uh, the, the footprint of the Typhoon display as well is quite, quite large. So it goes back from myself and the aircraft into my... Um, management my uh, my team manager and then into the engineering management and my engineering team so like you say a large footprint and a lot of the work uh, going on in the background now is, is all in preparation obviously for next year's display and for the season to begin in terms of the display um, how much thought have you given that so far and uh, what have you looked for and towards for inspiration right well um, obviously speaking to a lot of uh, experts yourself included about what 
um, you, you chaps feel works and what doesn't work in a fast jet display was my first protocol. Um, it's very easy, um, being an aviator myself, to, to get down in the weeds of it and think about the technicalities and forget sometimes um, what the, the public and the fee-paying public want to see out of the jet. So um, that was the most important thing, to make sure we were actually putting it to the, uh, the correct audience. Uh, all of the feedback on, hours and hours of uh, video footage trawled through at previous displays um, of Typhoon and indeed other aircraft to see what I think works and what doesn't work, all going into um, the sequence um, development. So I started with a blank piece of paper, an amount of manoeuvres that were clear to fly, and then, uh, and then it grew from there. Are there certain manoeuvres that you have to include in a Typhoon display? No, not at all. Um, there are cert- some manoeuvres you'd be silly not to include, so anything that would um, show the aircraft significant excess thrust um, would, be, would be crazy to waste that opportunity because the, the jet has so much of that. And, um, and obviously the, uh, the capability for the aircraft with its carefree handling to demonstrate that as well would be, would be crazy not to use that. So there's nothing, no, to answer the question, no, there's nothing we have to put in, but there are a few things that we would uh, we always like to put in because the jet uh, performs very well to them. And when you're watching a display, what do you like to see personally? Uh, personally, um, hopefully the same as the, um, the, the public, and it goes back to when I was a youngster as well, it's not so much see but feel in here. So it's the noise and the, uh, and the, the, the actual rumbling through your, your chest, if you like, of the, the fast jet display, which is, again, I think would put a smile on most people's faces. So again, I, I still have that um, from the spectator side of it, there's still the, uh, the same requirements. Which aircraft have you enjoyed watching display down the years? Down the years, I think it going back, so going reverse chronological order, the Typhoon is, I think it just literally is a, a world beater. It's phenomenal and it, it makes, obviously, the displaying is not its, um, its primary aim. Obviously, it's a war going jet, um, but because of its excess thrust and its carefree handling, it, it lends itself very, very well to the display circuit. So um, even when I was on the Harrier, based at RF Cottesmore, I remember uh, the Typhoon display pilot coming across one of his practice sessions during the year. And, uh, and luckily for me, using Cottesmore as a warm-up airfield. And uh, even being a Harrier pilot at the time, staunch through and through, I still had to wander out and smile in amazement at this typhoon going over my uh, over the, the married quarters, which was phenomenal. Uh, going back again, an affinity for the Harrier, obviously, and the Harrier had its party trick of hovering. So again, no other jet has, uh, has equaled that before or since. So the Harrier, another beautiful display jet. And then right back, Halcyon days now as a youngster standing off the shore of Sunderland looking at the Sunderland Air Show uh, again at the Harrier and uh, the Tornado F3 as well just the, the sheer speed and noise again at the Tornado F3 but uh, not, not all jets as well it's easy to get jet centric um, the Chinook stands out for me it's one of the most impressive displays I've ever seen and I was uh, lucky enough to see them and meet the guys first hand at RF Shawbury a couple of years ago and uh, it was just jaw dropping the display those guys put on um, yeah phenomenal but people do remember and for them the, the, it's the fast jets which really stand out in the memory for years uh, yeah it is and uh, for me it's probably the same way and obviously having had the privilege to fly fast jets since um, I've got obviously an affinity for them but the Chinook again um, it was one it was one display that I will never forget it, was, it really really isn't a jaw dropping display so at what stage are we now in terms of working up for next year's routine okay the way we're uh, sorting out the workup for this year's pre-Christmas really we're ahead of the game at the moment so we've got a lot of the stuff sorted in the periphery uh, as you alluded to on the board um, with everything that's going on in the background and this is the, the kind of thing that people may not think about but the compilation of the brochures um, just getting the guys into the kit that you're going to see the chaps wearing at the air shows uh, when you meet them on the ground myself included and, uh, and the, the, the trivia if you like that you don't seem to think about in the background 
As far as the display side is concerned, we are there or thereabouts with the sequence, um, and that will be ratified in the new year by uh, the Air Officer Commanding, and then hopefully after that, with the flying will, flying workup will start soon thereafter. So probably the middle of January, we'll start the flying workup and hopefully just uh, get our public display of authority in about mid-March. And the flying display workup, you begin at a certain height and work your way down, don't y- you? Yes, that's right. Yeah, obviously, throughout the whole of this, my job is to uh, ensure I provide a safe display um, throughout the whole of the season. And that goes right back into the, the uh, sequence compilation and how I come about making up the sequence. So safety has to be in the forefront of my mind throughout. Um, obviously, we're not going to then just go straight down to display minimums. As you alluded to, uh, we have a strict regime of uh, workup sorties that we start with at 5,000 feet, uh, which is our minimum for any pilot to do aerobatics. So I'm, I'm, there's nothing special at that point. And then once we're fully safe and competent at 5,000 feet, we'll step it down in graduated heights until we finally get to a display minima. And that's over the case of approximately six to eight weeks. And how full's the display season looking for next year? It's looking good. The uh, display season itself is, uh, is filling up. The calendar always fills up as we go through the year as well. Um, we'll obviously be visiting a few of our favourites um, or the, the events team favourites from the uh, previous years and hopefully uh, look forward to seeing the public at some of the big shows. Are there any events that are going to stand out in your mind as the ones to really look forward to for yourself? Well, I think every one of them, to be honest. Every one we will put on the same show. So it doesn't matter where you come to see us, we'll be putting on the same show. Um, the weather dependent, um, we've got three electric show so the full display the limited display and the flat display will all be uh, hopefully draw droppers um, so anyway your listeners look forward to seeing us um, they can expect to see a good show and how many displays are you allowed to fly a day uh, per day we're limited um, uh, to three displays per day and that's just a, a human limitation for fatigue for myself and again that's going back to the safety in the forefront we don't want to uh, be putting ourselves in a position where we've got somebody tied at the at the, uh, the control. So, no, it's always been a uh, it's been in the orders for a long time as a rule of uh, max three per day. And how physically demanding do you expect the flying to be for yourself? The the jet itself. Um, I'm obviously used to flying day to day as my uh, role as an instructor on the the OCU. So the jet itself, um, I'm not going to take it past any limits that I wouldn't do in training anyway. So um, the jet will self limit as it does, uh, as I alluded to the carefree handling. So I'm used to the full envelope of the aircraft anyway. Um, the nuance of display flying is obviously taking the max performance of the aircraft to quite low levels where the air is quite thick and, um, and the, the air, aircraft really bites and the performance is, is, is blistering down at low level. Um, the Typhoon kit though, the air crew uh, equipment assembly that we wear, our G protection trousers etc and our G protection jacket is second to none so the kit really really does help out and as you'll see next year the display will utilise plus 9G to minus 3G and, um, and the kit makes it so bearable, it's, uh, it's unreal. So, in short answer, hard work, no more than demanding than uh, my day-to-day flying. We should say, too, you've been very keen to seek out advice from enthusiasts and people who watch air shows an awful lot to enhance and to bring things to your display. What was your thinking behind that? My thinking is, uh, is really to take a step back from the display. And as I alluded to, it's very easy as a pilot to come up with a pilot's display and what might feel good from the aircraft. That was not. That's not my aim this year. My aim is to um, is to take the aircraft and, and showcase the Typhoon uh, for, to show what a good jet it is to the public. Um, to that end, it's not about what I want to see from the ground; it's what the public want to see from the ground. So my main aim really was to canvas opinion. And when I say canvas opinion, I'm not, I can't ask everybody what they'd like to see, and we can never please everybody. And I'm acutely aware of that. Um, but hopefully, there's enough in next year's sequence to. Uh, satisfy uh, even the most enthusiastic of enthusiasts. So we'll uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll we see we shall again. see. Yeah.
In terms of the weekends and, and when you go away, how big a team do you take to, to, to each show? Yeah, we, take, uh, we always take the minimum we can uh, because obviously the impact on the Typhoon Force uh, is felt whenever we take the jets away. Um, to remind the, the listeners, obviously, the, the jet is part of 29 Squadron, or sorry, the team is part of 29 Squadron, and we're taking assets from the Typhoon Force every time we come to see you guys at, at an air show. So we'll always minimise the footprint um, to the absolute minimum required. Uh, generally, that would be myself, a another pilot, Typhoon pilot, who will fly the spare in, uh, my manager, and then a team of five engineers um, of the four different trades plus a train manager. So it means I've got all bases covered. Should we have any uh, technical problems on the weekend, um, the jet can be sorted. So that that's the fo- typical footprint you'd be looking at. And as well, in terms of the weekends, I think it's what thirteen or fourteen weekends across the summer. How will that impact on you personally? On me personally. Um, Apart from going away for the weekends themselves and getting involved, um, again, back to the flight safety side of it, we always have our crew duty. So I'll just, in effect, shift my weekend to the middle of the week and I'll take my days off in lieu uh, during the week. So for me, absolutely minimal impact. Um, And again, for the squadron, we'll always make the display the minimal impact possible on 29 Squadron and indeed the Typhoon Force um, every time we do take the jet away. Looking forward to it? Uh, Massively. I cannot wait. So... Um, we'll hit the ground running, like I say, hopefully uh, early 2013, and uh, we'll look forward to keeping you appraised of, uh, of our progress. Well, thank you, and wish you well for the new season. Thanks thank very you. Much, That's Dad. great. Thank you. Officer Commanding Battle of Britain Memorial Flight is perhaps one of the most sought-after jobs in the entire Royal Air Force. Let's face it, who wouldn't want to command their own personal air force of six Spitfires, two Hurricanes, two Chipmunks, a Dakota, and one of only two airworthy Lancasters in the world? Well, replacing Squadron Leader Ian Smith in the BBMF's top job after three years is Squadron Leader Duncan Mason. How's the new job? Well, fabulous, as you would expect. Uh, I'm very lucky in that I've uh, I've taken over the best outfit in the Air Force. So not only the aeroplanes that it flies, but the people within it as well. So uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Of course, there's a lot to uh, to get my teeth into. There's a, an awful lot of uh, events next year that uh, that require attention now, of course. And so we're uh, we're ongoing with that. Well, here I now what are three weeks before Christmas. What is your day to day schedule at the moment like? Uh, well, we have all sorts going on. We've uh, just finished, and in fact, we're um, we're going through the final stages of uh, of putting the the finishing touches on next year's program. Uh, we already have 750 events that have come in that we have to go through uh, and look at the logistics of how to put each aeroplane over each one of those events. Um, now that's not the end of the story. Unfortunately, we uh, we then will get another thousand bids over the next six months to. Uh, ask what we call late bids uh, and if we can possibly pick those up and put aeroplanes over the top of those events then we will so that takes a, a, a quite a, a big amount of time we've got uh, also the uh, the aeroplanes um, the Spitfire Mark 16 that we're trying to tick over we've got two pilots that we're trying to train now to be fighter pilots next year so again I have to fly with those guys and teach those those guys to fly uh, and then the day-to-day running of the flight um, also is is ongoing so there's lots going on at the moment you mentioned there the mark 16 um it looks fantastic how is it it's just the most phenomenal aeroplane uh very exciting to get into an aeroplane that hasn't flown for 58 years uh, especially because this aeroplane is the first one here on the flight that's been refurbished purely by the engineers here on the flight the rest of the aeroplanes were 
um, built by other people and donated and then have been maintained by our team of engineers. But this aeroplane, very, very special because it really has been uh, built up from nothing from the guys here. Uh, and it is an amazing aeroplane also in that it's the Mark 16, it's a low back, it's a clipped wing. So it's very different to any of the other aeroplanes we, we've got on the flight at the moment. And she flies just beautifully. Just give us some idea as to how major a restoration project the Mark 16 was. Well, it came in um, really as a spares project. No one thought that, that it would fly again. And I think that probably tells the, the tale in itself. It was supposed to be being broken up for spares. Uh, it and another Mark 16. Uh, and Paul Blacker, who uh, is still here on the flight and really is the guru when it comes to restoring these type of aeroplanes, looked at it and said, I think we can make this fly again. Uh, and through volu uh, voluntary work for uh, seven years, um, that they... they put the aeroplane back together and then it was recognised just what an amazing job they'd done and uh, funding started to come in to, to help uh, with getting the aeroplane back in the air again. So really um, it, it, it has been built up from, from tiny bits, from nothing, from an aeroplane really that they were looking to put on the scrap heap uh, into a fully flying aeroplane. And in terms of how it flies, how does it compare with the other marks of Spitfire you have here? Um, they're all beautiful, so it's a very difficult question to answer. Uh, flying the Spitfire is uh, is fabulous, and someone I was today actually I spoke to someone who said, "Oh, I've heard flying the Spitfire is easy," and he's absolutely right. It is, and that's the beauty of it. That's why it's a legend. Not only does it look right, it sounds right, and it flies right across the range so from very low speed to very high speed it's beautifully light very responsive and this particular aeroplane this mark 16 um, is very very balanced in pitch very 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 responsive in roll uh, the engine in the aeroplane um, is the smoothest Merlin that I, I've heard so it really is a phenomenal aeroplane um, the only thing with the Spitfire uh, that people will attest to is that it is an aeroplane that likes to be in the air when you try and put it back on the ground again that's when she complains and that's when occasionally she'll try and uh, throw you off the side of the runway so that's the tricky bit putting it back down flying it is abs an absolute delight landing it keeps you on your toes Flying a Spitfire, what was it like when you first sat in the pilot's seat of a Spitfire and thought, yes, I'm going to fly this? Uh, well, a dream come true. I mean, it is an almost, for, for someone like myself who grew up as a, as a lad, uh, looking, going to air shows and, and looking at warbirds and reading about what the boys did in them, uh, that's inspirational stuff for me. And so to get the chance was really almost unbelievable so to sit in there and think is this really going to happen and then as the wheels go up into the well and think I am now airborne in a Spitfire it, you really do have to pinch yourself I mean it, it is uh, up, right up there in, in one of the most uh, amazing moments of my life best job in the world absolutely without a shadow of a doubt well, the aircraft now in their winter maintenance uh, anything major in terms of the maintenance for the aircraft over this close season uh, well, they, the the funny thing about the flight here is that it is different to any other Air Force unit in that for major maintenance, aeroplanes on another squadron would get sent away to a, a centralised area. But we, of course, do everything here on the flight. So there, there are major things going on all of the aeroplanes. Every aeroplane is going under major maintenance, some a little bit more than others, but they are all being uh, pulled to pieces and... Uh, given some TLC over the winter to make sure they're back up and running for the summer. 
So in terms of next year's display season, is it looking more busy than even the years that have gone before? Uh, it always gets busier and busier. We always get more and more bids, and we always try and ensure that we service as many as we possibly can. So we are expecting an extremely busy year. We've, uh, of course, the big event that we're looking to next year is the 70th an- anniversary of the Dambusters. Uh, so. The Lancaster bomb has been repainted into 617 colours in preparation for that, and preparations are, are well underway for us to have a phenomenal event on the 16th and 17th of May next year. And what form will that event take, or do you know at the moment? Uh, well, I'm going to keep it under wraps a little bit, but uh, you can bet that the uh, the aeroplane will be uh, going to Scampton, uh, and it will definitely be uh, going to some of the... Uh, the reservoirs that were used in the training of the crews for those particular raids. There's all sorts of other things going on, but I'll I'll keep them under my hat for now. And is the job of being the boss as good as you thought it would be? Yeah, it really is. Um, it's uh, I'm only eight weeks in, really, and uh, it's uh, although I've been flying on the flight for four years, once you actually take command of the flight, it's a very different kettle of fish, and uh, it really is just a, a wonderful privilege to be uh, to be able to to do this. So yes, it, it really is. It's fabulous. <laughs> heard the OC talking there about the flight's newest flying edition, Spitfire Mark 16 TE311, or just TE as they call her at Coningsby, an airframe which was originally due to be broken up and used as spare parts, a real phoenix from the flame story, and one of which Paul Blacker and his team can be rightly proud. On that team who worked on the restoration were Corporals Nigel Sticky Bun and Andy Bale. First, Andy takes up the story. The aircraft was built in 1945 and did a bit of flying and then in about 1954, 55 time it went to Tangmere and was on the gate guard there until 1968-69 when it did the Battle of Britain film. Then it went to uh, display flight, exhibition flight which was going around just doing air shows and publicity and then we got it in about 2000 and about 2001 we started the restoration on it which we finished about two months ago and she's back in an airworthy state now. So when it came here, what kind of state was it in? Uh, very badly corroded. It had just been unlooked, uncared for. Uh, but the more we took it apart, the more we discovered that the corrosion was just surface corrosion and underneath it was a basically sound aircraft. So how complex a restoration has this been? It's, it's been complex in, in the respect of getting spare parts for it. Um, a lot of the drawings don't exist for doing the items. So we've had to get the information from places. You can't just go to another aircraft because you might find that it wasn't potentially right done on that aircraft. And this being the only Mark 16 that the Air Force is using at the moment, we didn't have that reference. I was going to say, I mean, you've got so many different marks of Spitfire here. How much commonality is there between the, the various marks? Basically, the basic airframe is the same. Uh, it's the add-ons, and there's the further line you go up the marks, the more they've squeezed in and squeezed in and squeezed into it. So what was it like when he saw her fly for the first time? Um, very scary <laughs> just wondering whether it would be alright I mean, we, we were confident but there is always just that uh, feeling but no it was great pride when it was up and what's the feedback been like for the pilots so far? they absolutely love it every single one of them it's as if they actually haven't said it but it's as if they're saying it's the best one um, they just have massive grins on their face when they get out and is there a fight among them to see who flies it? <laughs> um, not for me to say <laughs> but I would think possibly there may be I don't know my name's Corporal Bun, Sticky Bun, and um, I've worked on TE since 2006. When she came to you, what state was she in? 
Um, pretty poor condition. The, the fuselage was very badly corroded. Um, the, the wing um, spars were badly corroded and the, also the wings were badly corroded. So basically we've done a really a reskinning of the fuselage and of the wings. So a pretty complex restoration. It has been, yes. We've, um, this is probably the most complete Spitfire that is probably around. Um, I think what we've done here is we've basically restored the Spitfire to how it should be. Uh, and the proof in the pudding is um, the pilots that have actually flown us since the, um, the restoration have um, says it all and they're just delighted with it. Uh, so it's nicely balanced, um, flies and handles really, really nice. So our, our boss um, will just sort of like um, build up his display routine, um, get to know the handling um, characteristics of it, um, which won't really take very long. It's it's almost there really anyway now. It's, it's fully flyable, uh, it's all fixed, it's all tweaked. Um, so it could do a display, you know, now really, I suppose. Mm. You've got so many different marks of Spitfire here. How much commonality is there between the various marks in terms of um, spare parts and interchanging the parts? Um, really, the basic items like oil, fuel, coolant um, and brackets and uh, undercarriage items are very interchangeable. Um, there is some minor things like the wheel sizes, uh, the engines, um, maybe even the pipework sometimes aren't interchangeable because of different sizes. So um, a lot of it is interchangeable and we do have a, a heck of a lot of spares. We have basically a hangar full of spares at the moment, um, which we do keep adding to every year. Was being a Mark 16 quite a rare Mark, uh, was that a problem? No, no, it's, it's, um, it was close to the 9. Um, it's almost a 9, but it's a glorified 9 if you like, and it's called a 16. Um, we like the difference in it, which is the, the wingtips are missing, uh, also the... Um, the, the all-round visibility of the canopy as well. Uh, it's not a high back, but the canopy's high, so, so you can turn left and right and get good view. Um, really, the, the pilot hasn't got no mirror on top of the windscreen like it has with the um, the baby spits. Uh, the 19s haven't got um, rear view mirrors, but then they're designed for speed. So um, you know they don't really need, they want to want to be looking behind you. They just look forward, take pictures, and then off they go again. And the pilots so far love it. Oh, they do. Yeah, they love it. They do. When so when once they've got out of it, um, really, the, all they can do is stop. To, they can't stop talking about it. It's just so nice to fly. It's really balanced, um, and they love it. Social media, from forums like UCAR to Facebook and Twitter, there really is no escaping. For all the stories we see in the press about cyberbullying, trolling and abusive tweeting, it's worth saying that social media can, in most cases, be a force for good. That's what the BBMF have found with followers flocking to their official Facebook and Twitter accounts, overseen by Public Relations Officer Yvonne Masters. Yvonne, people might know you better as the flight's voice of Twitter. Yes, probably they do. Um, I've started the Twitter account well over a year ago now. Um, and I also sort of manage the uh, Facebook page as well, more of an overseer. Um, Twitter tends to be my baby. That's generally what you find me doing sort of an, of an evening when, uh, you know, I've just put some jazz on and maybe poured a, a tiny little glass of red wine <laughs> just to relax a little bit and keep in touch with people. So how successful has, has it been so far? It, it actually has it's blown me away, really. Um, I mean, when I first started the account, I actually said to a, 
uh, a good colleague and friend, Jim Robinson, the, the MCO here. You know, do you think people will follow us? Do you think people are like us? Childishly, really. Um, and we've got nearly 13,500 followers now. So, yeah, it's been pretty successful. And what kind of engagement do you have with people who contact you through Twitter? Well, do you know what? There's, there's been some really brilliant um, results from Twitter. I, I like to sort of keep it quite informal. I don't want to be seen as aloof. You know, the flight aren't aloof. When we land, for example, the pilots don't just completely ignore the public and walk in because they're prima donnas, far from it. They'll go to the fence, they'll chat to people. So I really see Twitter and Facebook as an, an extension of that. So I sort of tweet out what I'm doing, um, whether that's, you know, walking the dog or making cakes or sausage rolls for the ground crew. Um, people do come back to me with questions. Some of them can be a little bit, um, you know, obtuse, a little bit, you know, engineering. And I'll, I'll say, yeah, I'll come back to you. But what I have had is some fantastic hits, particularly from veterans. Um, I'm quite nosy and, and obviously check our timeline. Um, a little bit, A little while ago, I had a lady sort of saying that, you know, she was... Um, bringing her dad to a Pathfinder's event because he was a, a rear gunner. Um, I just sort of tweeted back and said, wow, you know, come and see us. And she did, and it, it went on from there. Um, to all sorts of different people that, you know, we've met through Twitter. It's been a, a really great medium for, for us, particularly. Is there a difference in the kind of um, person who joins, say, the Facebook account to the Twitter account? I, I, it's difficult, isn't it, really? I mean, Facebook is very visual. We, we're getting some beautiful photographs posted on there. Um, I, I guess, in a way as well, it's, it's a slightly younger audience. Um, I, I sort of oversee the Facebook account. I'll sort of dip my toe in every now and again. The Twitter audience seems to be, um, certainly our followers, professional, slightly older, um, quite direct. And, and I love that about Twitter. You've only got a set amount of characters, as you know. So you can't rabbit on for England, as I'd probably be tempted to do. Um, but you can still share photographs and links and everything else. So, yeah, I guess in some respects, um, people use us as probably more of an information gathering service on Twitter rather than telling us what they've had for their supper on Facebook. And how do the air crew here uh, engage with Twitter or is that uh, is that just left to you? No, not at all. Um, I mean, I was very I was very lucky actually because the weekend I'd finally taken the plunge. Um, a very good friend of mine said, "I cannot believe the flight doesn't have a Twitter account." And in fact, we'd had a, a journalist up here to, did a beautiful piece for um, a national, and he was talking about Twitter and explaining about you know you, you sort of put a, a, a tweet out there and it gets retweeted. It frankly it all sounded like gobbledygook. Um, but the weekend, I'd decided to take the plunge. I'd got the account set up. God has arrived. Um, when Commander Paul Godfrey, who's at Goddess Twit, um, and he is completely bonkers about it. He thinks it's fantastic. Um, and his first question to me, you know, when he realised who I was and what I did, was, "Have we got a Twitter account?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, funny old thing, you know, in about two hours." Um, and like I say, I started off quite naively, worried, you know, as I always am, that we're doing the right thing and it's what people want. Um, that you know we'd probably have three followers in a month and it just went bonkers you know it really really did and that that did surprise me so he tweets um the new boss um dunk mason he tweets when he sort of remembers mm -hmm. so uh there might be the odd um you know tweeting poke in the uh, in the chest in a nice way just to remind him every now and again um but I think the majority of the, the guys on the flight, ground crew-wise, quite a few of them do. And, of course, they're, they're, you know, their input is brilliant because um, I'm in my office generally or out and about with visitors. They've you know, got that quick chance to get their iPhone out, take a quick picture and tweet, da-da, this is what we've done today. Um, 
you know, they are brilliant. We haven't had touch wood anybody push their luck and put anything mm-hmm. on there stupid. But there have been some perlers. I mean, the humour is, is quite sharp um, and it seems to be appreciated. It's quite addictive, isn't it? Yes, completely. Um, <clears throat> and I, I, I try and say, no, I'm absolutely not addicted. But, you know, when I get time to myself, um, you know, like I say, the telly goes off because that's not really my bag. Put some lovely music on, you know, sit with my iPad, which I've got to say was kindly donated by the old boys of 153 Squadron. Um, but half of them didn't know what it was. But when <laughs> I tried to explain, you know, that I could just sit in my in my jammers in front of the fire and, you know, make life a lot easier for me. Um, bless them, they, they had a collection after a visit here and they, they sponsored me to do that. So that was brilliant of them. Um, and it is, especially if you, you know, get into conversation with three or four people. Um, yeah, you, you, time whizzes by, doesn't it? Um, I mean, probably the longest time, scarily, that I'm going to admit to being on there was about four hours. Um, and that was when we did the Jubilee fly past because a couple of the engineers, you know, were tweeting, you know, the guys crewing in, the weather's looking great. So I could retweet that and pass that information on. And the, the, it just went balmy. You know, people loved that. I guess it's sort of that cockpit view, isn't it? It's that behind the scenes. It's that, gosh, we're getting an insight into BBMF that, you know, nobody else is. That's it. I mean, years ago, pre-Twitter, this was unheard of, just this level of engagement. Is there a pre-Twitter? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, it's difficult really, isn't it? You, you try to decide what people want to know. I've relaxed a lot with, with Twitter in that, um, you know, I, I sort of thought people just want to know about the aircraft or the engineers. And they're very quick to tell you, aren't they, um, that actually, why are you up at 5.30 in the morning tweeting? Well, actually, I get up to walk my dog. Oh, what sort of dog have you got? Let's show us a picture. Um, <laughs> you know, and before you know it, there's a greyhound with all his paws in the air, um, you know, on our account. It, it's always great to get the feedback, though. And as you said earlier, people are very direct because they've only got 140 characters. And they very quickly let you know whether or not, you know, you're doing the right thing. Mm. So at this stage, how many followers do you have on Facebook and on Twitter? Um, we have uh, just over 13,000 on Twitter. And I think the last count on Facebook was 11,500. And where can we find you? The um, Facebook page is the Battle of Britain Memorial Fight official page. So if you just type that in, that should come up. And the Twitter account is at RFBBMF. Keep on tweeting. Thank you very much. And don't forget, you can tweet your comments on display frequency. We are at UK Airshow Review on Twitter. And you can use, of course, our Facebook page and our forums to leave feedback as well. That concludes this edition and indeed this first year's series of display frequency. Hasn't the time flown? Many, many thanks for the huge number of downloads, the great comments, the kind words, the criticism. Hopefully the show will return in 2013. My thanks to Jim Robinson and Yvonne Masters at Coningsby for their help with this show and to all our guests who've appeared on previous programmes. But most of all, to you for listening. From me, Dan O'Hagan, it's goodbye. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Roll on 2013. Bye for now.